Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Our scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? When the foremen of the people of Israel came, And cried to Pharaoh. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you make, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce the number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out out from Pharaoh and said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil To this people. Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, before we consider this passage together, let's just ask for the Lord's help. God our Father, we have been singing. When darkness seems to hide his face. And this passage we have 
been reading together is a time in the history of your people Israel when darkness seemed to hide your face. And Lord, we come to you this morning from many different circumstances where we could be tempted to feel the same way. And so we pray that through the ministry of your word that we would learn to rest on your unchanging grace. So guide us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit as we consider your precious word. Give us ears to hear. Convict us. Encourage us. Strengthen us, we pray, for we ask it, our Father, in the powerful name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our study of Exodus, and in the previous sermons we saw that in Exodus, God is fulfilling his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to bless his people and to bring them into their own land, the land of Canaan, a land that flows with milk and honey. But for this to happen, they had to be liberated from Egypt where they had been slaves for the last 400 years. So these first 15 chapters of Exodus reveal God's power and faithfulness in delivering his people from Egypt, the superpower of the day. And it's very timely that we should be considering this section of Scripture on Remembrance Sunday as we remember the price that has been paid for the liberties that we enjoy. Liberties that, I might add, are being quickly eroded. Now, God chooses his servant Moses to lead this exodus from um, Egypt. Moses, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, who had been living in the backside of the Midian desert for the last 40 years after his first failed attempt at delivering God's people. And we saw in chapters 3 and 4 that this 40 years in the desert had taken all the fight out of poor Moses. And last week in chapter 4, as you heard Moses' continual resistance to the call of God, perhaps you were thinking, Moses, enough already. God told you to go. He promised that he'd be with you, so just go. But when we get into chapter 5, we're a little more sympathetic of Moses, aren't we? A little more sympathetic because it seems that everything that Moses anticipated would go wrong, did go wrong. And then some. Now when Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh and say, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. Pharaoh asks a very relevant question. Question, and it's the title of the sermon today. Let uh, he says, "Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord?" And in chapters six to fourteen, God will answer that question for Pharaoh with a very loud voice. But after asking that question, Pharaoh acts as though the answer to the question is of no consequence. And God gives him a short space of time to act as though the identity of God and the claims of God are of no consequence. And that's what we get in chapter 5. 
So let's just do a quick flyover of chapter 5. Pharaoh says, I do, I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. Why do you take the people away from their work? Then he says to the taskmasters, demand the same number of bricks, but give them no straw. So the people are scattered all over the land of Egypt, foraging for straw, only at the end of the day to have to start the job of making bricks. And when they can't keep up, the foremen are beaten, and they go to Pharaoh and plead for fairness, for equity. But Pharaoh won't hear of it and taunts, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Whereupon the people realize that Moses and Aaron are behind all of this, and they curse Moses and Aaron and accuse them of putting a sword in Pharaoh's hand to kill them. And when Moses hears this, he's cut to the heart, and he cries out to the Lord, Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? You have not delivered this people at all. So that's a quick summary of what we have in this chapter. So now in chapter 5, there's this brief interval where Pharaoh seems to have the upper hand. And you might be tempted to sort of rush through chapter 5 because we identify with the searing pain of crushed dreams and having our hopes dashed. And so we want to get on with the deliverance. We want to get on, let's get on with the plagues. But Moses and the people didn't have the luxury of being able to flip ahead to chapter 15 and see the dead bodies of their oppressors washed up upon the seashore. And all they had was the last 400 years to remind them that slavery was all that they had ever known and circumstances that seemed to indicate that slavery would be all that they ever would know. It would be their only reality. And we need to linger with them here in their anguish and in their, be- in their bewilderment because here there are rich lessons to be learned. Here we're reminded who we belong to and the purpose of our liberty in Christ. Here we're taught to recognize Satan's schemes, 6 to 12, and Israel's proclivities, verses 14 to 22. For the kids, proclivities is just a big way for inclinations or appetites, but I needed another P word so that you'd remember it. So God's purposes, Pharaoh's ploys, and Israel's proclivities. You got that? So let's start with God's purposes. So in verses 1 to 5, we see God, through his servant, demanding the release of his people. And it's on the basis of ownership. Let my people go. And we we saw this in the previous chapter as well. Verse 22, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. To paraphrase, you have my firstborn son. And you're forcing him to serve you. Let him go that he may serve me. And if you don't, I'll kill your firstborn son. So it was a question of ownership. Now, We need to remember that God is a jealous God. 
jealous for the worship and the service of his people. You'll find that throughout Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. So take the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. The Lord is jealous, a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. So here we have two characteristics of the Lord, that he is jealous and avenging and that he is slow to anger. Now, the prophet Nahum, or the book Nahum, was written to the Ninevites. And you say, I thought we were talking about Moses. Now you got us over on Nahum and the Ninevites. Well, be patient with me. We'll get to that. But God had been very patient with the Ninevites in the time of Jonah. You'll recall the story of Jonah. But Nahum is the sequel to Jonah. Did you know that? The book of Nahum is the sequel to Jonah. Because a hundred years later, God's severe judgment fell. And why? It was primarily because of their treatment of God's people. But listen to what God says to his people in anticipation of their freedom. In verse 15, he says, Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows. That is why God gave them freedom. Not to serve themselves, but to serve him. In fact, that's why they had lost their freedom in the first place. And this is a very important point for us to get this morning, brothers and sisters. Do you have liberty in Christ? Yes, you do. But why? So that you may serve yourself? So that you might use your liberty to indulge your sinful nature? God forbid. Look at what we have in 2 Peter 2.16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We are set free to serve him. That's what we have in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 15. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Now let's apply this back to our chapter. The issue was not simply that Israel was oppressed and that God had compassion on them. The issue was that they belonged to God and that God was being robbed of their worship and he would stand for it no longer. So he lays down the gauntlet, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now it is a very serious thing to withhold from God the worship of his people. But notice, and we miss this sometimes, I think, it's not only Pharaoh that is at risk here, is it? Look at verse 3. Look with me at verse 3. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. God had revealed to Moses that the consequences of withholding sacrifice to the Lord would be pestilence 
and the sword. And indeed, in years to come, that's exactly what happened to Israel when they turned from worshiping the true and living God to worshiping idols. Now, if there is punishment for God's people refusing to worship and serve him, then there is also punishment, severe punishment, for those who would propose to stand in the way of God's people worshiping him. It is a very serious thing to stand in the way of God's people and their worship to him. It was true then, and it's true today. And I tremble to think of how God regards those that will impose extra-biblical conditions upon the worship of God's people. I tremble to think of the plight of any church that would dare to make corporate worship, worship conditional upon the jab. Or any government that would try to enforce such a thing. But it is just as serious and perhaps even more serious when God's own people withhold their worship and service from God by refusing to separate from evil. God was taking his people out of Egypt because of the idolatry, because the idolatry of Egypt was incompatible with the worship of the true and living God. And today God still calls his people who will worship and serve him to holiness and separation from evil. That's what we have in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. This is not something to be trifled. In Pharaoh's hand, they ought to have been more worried about putting a sword in the Lord's hand. Well, we've considered the purpose of God. Now let's consider the ploys of Pharaoh. The ploys of Pharaoh. So in verses 6 to 12, we we see that Pharaoh not only refuses to listen to Moses and Aaron, but also retaliates against the people by intensifying their burdens to drown their hopes of freedom and to crush their spirits. So we read in verse 6, the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. The same day. Notice it was the same day. The day Moses and Aaron sought liberty for the people was the day that Pharaoh took away their straw. And we need to remember that the pursuit of liberty intensifies persecution. The the pursuit of liberty intensifies persecution because you have a very real enemy that does not want you to be free. Now, perhaps you've had the experience in your life of trying to break with a sinful habit. And suddenly, as you try to do that, everything seems to be going wrong. Have you ever had that situation in your life? Remember, you need to remember that this is one of Satan's schemes. If you don't realize that, and you don't recognize that Satan has a hand in it, you'll be caught off guard. In C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letters, Screwtape, a senior demon, says to his nephew Wormwood, a junior tempter, and I quote, Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. So, 
Pharaoh takes away their straw. Now, straw was used to reinforce bricks and to give them strength and to give them structure, probably not unlike what we use rebar for today when we're pouring cement. And up until this time, Pharaoh would have been providing them with, with the brickmakers with wagon loads of chopped straw, which would have maximized the quality of the bricks that they were producing and their productivity. So if quality and productivity were Pharaoh's motive, this was a really dumb strategy. On a side note, remember this, that a good manager ensures that his workers have the materials that they need to do their job. He recognizes business conditions that make work more difficult and works to overcome those barriers. That's what a good manager does, a godly manager. An ungodly manager disregards the needs of his employees and creates obstacles rather than removing them, and then he maligns his employees for bad performance. When you see a leader withholding raw materi- the raw materials that are needed for productivity, you can be sure that he is either foolish or has an ulterior motive or both. And of course, that is exactly what is happening today. What are the raw materials that are required to produce the goods and services that people need to thrive? Well, one of the key ones is labor. But when you hike up the minimum wage and you pay people to stay at home, and you fire people who don't want to be injected with a drug against their will, you effectively take away the straw that is necessary to make bricks. So ships stay in the harbor with no one to unload them, and trucks stay in the parking lot with no one to drive them, and supply chains come to a grinding halt, and hospital waiting rooms and operating rooms become gridlocked. Why? Because godless leaders make foolish decisions out of fear and out of ulterior motives, like the Great Reset. Well, Pharaoh had an ulterior motive too, and that was to crush the hopes of people through harsh slavery. You see that in 6 and 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they, would, well, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Harsh slavery would have kept the people in a constant state of anxiety over what would happen to them next and what would happen in the future. And this is a state that that Satan loves to keep us in as well. Rather than focusing on God's moment-by-moment provision and trusting him with an uncertain future, we become preoccupied with trying to control the future. That is Satan's ploy. Again, C.S. Lewis Screwtape says of his victim, we want him to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one of which arouses hope or fear. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. By the enemy, he means God. He wants men to be preoccupied with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. It's a ploy of the Satan. It's a ploy of the devil. Well, Satan had another ploy, and that was to remove their hope. Pay no regard to lying words. Verse 9. Pay no regard 
to lying words. What were these lying words? Well, were they not the words of hope that Moses and Aaron had shared with the people? And when the people had heard those words, they were, they were given a spark of hope. Because we read in 431, and the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel. And that he had seen their affliction. They bowed their head and worshipped. So there was hope. Hope that God had finally visited his people. Hope that he had seen their affliction and hope that they would be delivered. And what does Pharaoh say of all this? Pay no attention to lying words. In other words, Pharaoh's saying, God didn't visit his people. God doesn't see your affliction, and he will not deliver. He crushes their hope. Then Pharaoh has another ploy, and we see that in verse 8. You are idle. And then in verse 17, you are idle. You are idle. It was a false accusation. They were not idle. Pharaoh knew very well that they had been scattered all over the land of Egypt all day long, foraging for little bits of stubble that they could use in place of the straw that they were once provided, only to get home late in the day, completely burnt out, only then to start the process of trying to make bricks and not being able to keep up with it because of the meager supply of raw materials. But rather than acknowledging the truth of the situation, he, they are accused, he accuses them, and he maligns them. Now, this is another one of Satan's schemes, and that is why he is called the accuser of the brethren. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And you know how it works. When you're faced with a, with a temptation, he whispers in your ear, go ahead. God understands. Everyone else is doing it. No one will know. And then the moment you fail... The moment you yield, he accuses you. What a worthless person you are. Do you really think that God can forgive such sins? How wretched you are. It would be better if you were not even alive. Do you think that God could love a person like you? And on and on it goes. He is the accuser of the brethren. And that is why it's important that we are diligent to restore in the church a sinning brother or sister. The Apostle Paul recognized this in 2 Corinthians 2 when he said, verse 6, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And then he gives the reason in verse 11, So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We're not ignorant. Are we ignorant of his designs? His design is to accuse. And so, knowing that one of Satan's devices is to accuse and to overwhelm the sinning brother or sister with a sense of self-loathing and so defeat him or her, it's our job and our responsibility as a church and as brothers and sisters to forgive and restore one another and to assure one another of our love. That is a very important responsibility that we have in the church. And let's remember, too, not to carry an accusatory spirit with us outside of the church as well. By all means, set a high bar for your kids. By all means, set a high bar for your employees. But don't rail on them and don't taunt them. We do the work of Satan when we have a critical 
and when we have an accusatory spirit. Well, we've talked about the purposes of God, and we've talked about the ploys of Pharaoh. Let's move quickly on to our last point, the proclivities of the people of God. The proclivities of the people of God. Well, in verses 15 to 22, we see the people crying out to Pharaoh for deliverance. And then we see the people lashing out at Moses and Aaron. And then we find, finally we see Moses complaining to God. These are the proclivities of the people of God under pressure. So first, let's see the peop- first we see the people pleading with Pharaoh for better conditions of slavery rather than seeking freedom from God. They're pleading with Pharaoh for better conditions of slavery. When they were first enslaved, you can imagine that when those big wagon loads of chopped straw rolled and that they would have groaned inwardly in their spirits to think of the work that those wagon loads of straw would have represented to them. And now they're begging Pharaoh for them as if it were some kind of a kindness to them. And it's a very twisted thing when the abused comes to see their abuser as a generous benefactor and pledges allegiance in return for more agreeable terms of slavery. It's a very twisted thing when the abused comes to see their abuser as a benevolent benefactor and seeks for better conditions of slavery rather than going to God and seeking freedom. I hope we are not doing that. It's been said that when Joseph Stalin was once trying to give his henchmen an object lesson, he took a live chicken and he plucked it before them. And when he released the tortured bird, it clung to his leg and then followed him around as he threw a bit of bird seed at it. And he said this to his people, This is the way to rule people. Did you see how the chicken followed me for food even though I caused it such torture? People are like that chicken. If you inflict inordinate pain on them, they will follow you for food the rest of their lives. And we're repulsed by this, of course. But do we behave like that poor, tortured chicken? Allowing our Christian liberties to be stripped from us without the slightest bit of resistance and then making our pitiful pleas before our oppressors while we neglect the throne room of God. Seeking salvation from the state as though they were the great deliverers while we recite perfunctory prayers before God with little expectation of a response. Brothers and sisters, let us make our supplication before the throne of God with confidence and boldness, expecting to receive answers. We see in verse 21 that when the people are rejected by Pharaoh, they rebuff God's messenger and will not hear him because of their broken spirit, because of their harsh slavery. And while, on the one hand, we have compassion for them, we see in their behavior here a little bit of our own fickle natures. They say to Moses, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Their assumption was that anything that didn't immediately elevate their position was not of God. 
that hardship was a proof of defeat and failure. Anything that didn't immediately elevate their position was not of God. And that hardship and difficulty was a proof of defeat and failure. To quote once more C.S. Lewis, screw tape, and his diabolical counsel to Wormwood, he says, and I quote, Men are not angered by mere misfortune, but by misfortune conceived as injury. And the sense of injury depends on the feeling that a legitimate claim has been denied. The more claims on life, therefore, that your patient, that's you, can be induced to make, the more often he will feel injured and, as a result, ill-tempered. Did you get that? The more claims on life, therefore, that your patient can be induced to make. One of the greatest sources of discouragement in the life of the Christian is expectations that are not formed by Scripture. Expectations that are not formed by Scripture. Expectations that that God's plan is that I should have a healthy, wealthy, prosperous life. That's a lie. Is that why we are so angry, some of us, and disoriented by what's happening around us? Because deep down we believe that we are entitled entitled to a life of ease and that trials are an evidence that something has gone very wrong with God's plan? Well, in response to their accusations, Moses says to the Lord in verse 22, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? And in chapter 6, God will answer that question. But in a word, he says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. That's what he's saying to us. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. What if Pharaoh had just let them go? They would never have rejoiced in the Lord's power and greatness when they saw the Egyptians, their antagonists, dead upon the seashore. They would never have have seen the true face of Pharaoh And then in the wilderness journey, when things grew tough, they would have had even more of an inclination to return. And Moses would not have had this early opportunity to learn that the only way to endure as a leader was to look to the praise of God and not to the applause of people, the applause of man. Well, we've walked through a painful passage And in it, we've discovered something of the purposes of God, something of the ploys of Satan, and something of the proclivities of our own hearts under pressure. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Do you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you through his ways with his people of old? In these times of increasing difficulty and uncertainty, do you hear him pleading with you to trust him, urging you to worship him and gently drawing you before, drawing you to the throne of grace. I want to leave you with four simple questions. Four simple questions to consider as we wrap up. Are you withholding from God the worship that he demands of you? Are you? 
Could it even be that you are standing between God and one who seeks to worship him? Are you ignorant of Satan's schemes? Have you allowed him to shift your focus from the fear of the Lord to fearing the future and fretting over your personal failures? Do you recognize the schemes of Satan? Do you see his hand in it? Or do you miss that? Are you neglecting the throne room of God while you make your endless entreaties in the courts of man? Neglecting the throne of grace while you make endless entreaties in the courts of man? Are you? And finally, do you imagine that God's plan and purposes are only achieved through that which pleases you? Have you forgotten that God's hand of providence uses both what is pleasing and painful to bring about his purposes? Have you forgotten that? Before we come to the Lord's table, I want to say a word to those that are unsaved in the congregation. Pharaoh asked the question, who is the Lord? It was the right question to ask. Moses had asked the question, who am I? It was irrelevant. And this morning, who I am and who we are and what we have to say is equally irrelevant. The only thing that is relevant is who the Lord is and what he has declared to us in his inerrant word. That is our only authority. So who is the Lord? He's the almighty God. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. And he is the lover of your soul. He's the redeemer who paid the penalty for sin with his own blood. And this morning he offers you complete cleansing and pardon and a full pardon. And what you do with this, what you do with him, and what you do with his offer of grace will be the one thing in your life that matters for all eternity. And so this morning we urge you to turn to him, to turn to him in repentance and faith, and he will be your savior, not just for time, but for eternity. Well, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And at the, at the start, we remarked that God's purposes were to bring his people out of Egypt, that he might bring them into Canaan, where he could live among them with his people in fellowship. But God wasn't satisfied to wait until they got there, so he prepared for them a feast in the wilderness a feast in the wilderness where he could commune with them on their journey. And this morning, he's done the same for us. We're on our way home. Where we'll see his face and where we'll be with him and where we'll be like him. Where God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. And like Israel, our journey home takes us through a desert. But God has prepared a feast in the wilderness. And it's here at his table. Where we may partake of the tokens of his love in fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters. Here we experience a foretaste of what it will be to be together in the Father's house. And here we find the strength to face another week as he leads us through our own wilderness. So let's come to the Lord's table together.